Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for saying good morning back. Don't you feel short when you're around him? It's like Carl Palmer's over here, my good friend. He's been watching over me since I came to Christ. He's still watching over me. So if I get anything wrong theologically, come correct me, all right? There you go. And I love Carl. We've been friends for too many years to count. Uh, but I also love Dave, the pastor that God's brought to you for this season. Don't you love him? Uh, he's younger than me. Yes, go ahead. He's a blessing. <laughs> but he's he's younger than me, taller than me. Uh, he's a better basketball player, too. I don't even want to find out how good he is because I don't want to be humiliated on the court. But I'm glad to know him, and I'm really glad to be here with you. And yes, uh, they only gave me 35 minutes for my sermon, and so. Uh, but I, I got to say some stuff about New York, which means I'll end up with 30 minutes. But anyway, New York was amazing. I just saw Luis. He's here this morning. And you guys, in, in a, yeah, in a... In a very humbling, Jesus-honoring way, you get to claim him like this is his church. And you guys sent him out. But uh, he asked me to go with him, which I was honored. And uh, I was there for Radio City Music Hall. We have some photos. Uh, oh, they're showing them already. That's Times Square. That's Luis Palau in Times Square. There were signs all over the city on, on taxis and buses. And we, uh, we timed the program because some of the big screens that you see on the buildings kicked in for an hour. And so we thought, what do we want on those screens for an hour? Because there was thousands of people right in the square, but then people were streaming by the whole time. So we said, we want Toby Max singing about Jesus and we want Luis Palau preaching about Jesus. And so there it was. And decisions were made right there in Times Square. This is Central Park. Leave that one up for a second. Uh, this is taken from the stage, and uh, you can see the skyline in the back. And uh, you know, there, like, like Dave said, this is a culmination of two months of events. 115 events, 180,000 people came in person. There were millions more reached through media, through live broadcasts, etc. More than 10,000 decisions uh, here in Central Park. You know, you hear those numbers. But numbers are people. So one story, there was a guy who's a president of a bank in the Midwest, and he had chaired one of the uh, festivals years ago and hadn't been to a Luis Palau festival in eight years. But he came to this one, and he was challenged to help with counseling. So he decided to go way back in the back and see if anybody back there would, would want to give their lives to Christ. And so when Luis gave the invitation, he had people raise their hand and wave it, and you could see how far back that is. Well, he's back in the back, and there were 16 people going like this. And so he, and he was the only guy back there. So he gathered them all in a circle and led them in their commitment to Christ. What he didn't know is while he was doing that, his own 11-year-old daughter was up at the front by the stage giving her life to Jesus. So these stories are amazing. And I'm going to tell you one more in my teaching. But before we get into our teaching, and then I'll have only 29 minutes, uh, I just got to say thank you on behalf of our leaders at uh, the church formerly known as Solid Rock. We're Solid Rock at Jesus Church. Now we're a Jesus Church family. We have West Side over by Washington Square, Bridgetown downtown, and then Sunset out in Hillsboro. And, uh, you know, being here this morning is kind of... I don't know, melancholy for me. I remember up standing on this stage and leading worship in, in 2002 when we were a Saturday night gathering here called Solid Rock Fellowship. And people started coming to the Lord and getting baptized. And Carl Palmer was part of that. And for the Cedar Mill people, their favorite Sunday was when he was teaching. 
and I was just leading worship. Oh, you're teaching tonight? Okay, great. You know, when's Carl teaching? But, but we had some great nights, didn't we, Carl? And within about three months, we saw a group of people coming together saying, I go to Solid Rock. And we were saying, this isn't a church. This is a Saturday night service. But they were connecting with what God was doing. So without telling you the whole story, uh, the elders wrestled with this. We prayed and we were sent out in 2004, 11 years ago. And then I came back a year later. You invited me to come back. And I think the last time I preached here was 2005, 10 years ago, to report on the great things that God was doing. But this church, Carl's Humility, Cedar Mill's Generosity, launched us. And they basically said, we're not going to let you fail. We had no idea what was going to happen, but what we, what we didn't see what's going to happen it was a massive move of God. God started bringing people of all ages, but hundreds and hundreds of young people. And God just continues to move in our midst. And, um, you know, I think you have to be careful bragging about numbers, but the Bible does say, tell of the great things the Lord has done. Amen. And so that's what I have to do. This past Easter, just a couple months ago at our West side location, 59 people were baptized. And that's amazing. And so if you're here and you haven't followed Christ in baptism, Dave's right. Go for it because these people are expressing their commitment to God. And so we continue to be part of this. And so I just have this opportunity because I might be dead in 10 more years. I don't know. (laughs) I'm just glad to be alive. 10 years ago, I was here and I'm still here. Now, grab your Bible. Here we go. Mark chapter 7. We're going to jump into a story in the gospel of Mark. So grab your Bible or your iPhone or your iPad or whatever. And we're going to look at a beautiful story today about a man who has a life-changing encounter with Jesus, and he'll never be the same again. And by the way, nothing has changed today. Every encounter with Jesus can be life-changing if you come to him with all your baggage, with who you really are, but you come in faith and humility, and today with a teachable heart. God wants to speak to all of us today. Whenever we open the Bible, you know the Lord is speaking, and so I just want to pray a quick prayer again along with Dave's prayer. Father, we just open the scriptures now. We pray that by the word of God and by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would encourage your people today. Lord, those who don't know you, would they just understand how much you love them? Would they come to Jesus today? And God, for others who are hurting, may they know that you are a God who is good, as we have sung already. You're a good, good father. So, Lord, here we are. We pray that you'd feed your sheep today, Lord. We're sheep, and you're our shepherd. So speak to us for our own good, and may you be glorified today. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right, let's jump into the story. Verse 31 Mark chapter 7, and I realize we're jumping into a gospel story. If Carl was teaching, he'd give you like brilliant background. No time today. Go ask him. All right. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. Let me just pause and say this story and the one immediately preceding it in Mark chapter 7 take place in what's modern day Syria and Lebanon. And it says here, Jesus comes into the region of the Decapolis, Decapolis, Deca and Polis. It means 10 cities. This was a Gentile area where Jesus had been before. And while he was there before, he healed a demon possessed man from Gadara. That's another story uh, in the Gospels. And he told him to go home and tell his friends the great things that God had done. Well, he did. All around the ten cities, he spread the word, and now Jesus is back, and the crowds are rushing because they know, hey, this Jesus, I want to meet him, I want to see him, I want to hear him, because I've heard he can do miracles. Verse 32, there some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, 
and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. The phrase, by the way, here could hardly talk. It can also be translated spoke with difficulty is a clue that this man likely wasn't born deaf, but rather lost his hearing. If he'd been born both deaf and mute, he would have trouble learning to speak at all. But I got to pause and say, and this is an interesting here. It says there's some friends brought him to Jesus. And we're going to see what happens in this guy's life. It's life changing, but it wasn't this man's faith. It was the faith of his friends that brought him to Jesus. And we just saw this happen all over New York City. Uh, there was one man, this painting, yeah, throw this up here. This is a painting. The guy in front of it, his name is David Garibaldi. He won America's Got Talent. He's a follower of Jesus. And he painted that picture. I wish I could show it to you from the uh, different side. And you didn't know what he was painting, but he, you know, we, we had all these singing artists and somebody said, we need David Garibaldi. I go, a painter? Come on. And I was helping with program, and, but they said, we've got to have him. So I said, all right, 15 minutes of painting. There's music going on and he's painting. He painted that photo in five minutes and uh, you didn't know he was painting Jesus till he flipped it over. Anyway, this was part of our Radio City Music Hall. We're right in Radio City Music Hall in New York, which is like the Snits downtown, only twice as big. Think that. Beautiful place. All this stuff has happened there. So here, here, this guy is, he's testifying of his faith while he's painting these pictures. We gave him 15 minutes. Well, there was a pastor in Manhattan who invited his landlord. Most people don't own anything in New York. It's ridiculously expensive. They rent. So this pastor invited his landlord, not a follower of Jesus, thinking there's no way he's going to come, but I care about him. And he's my friend. He's my landlord. I give him money every month. <laughs> so I'm going to invite him. He didn't think he'd come. Well, the guy showed up with his live-in girlfriend. And while this painting was being painted, when it flipped over and he saw Jesus, he was just gripped in his heart. And later on, Luis preached the gospel like he does so clearly and powerfully and said, raise your hand. And this guy was the first guy to raise his hand to give his life to Jesus. And then he bought the painting and he's going to hang it in one of his buildings. So great story of a pastor who risked rejection and invited his friend. Well, this is what's going on here. These people, these friends, bring this deaf man to Jesus. Now, as we read on, I want you to see what happens. And I want you to see this morning three things about Jesus and the way he cares for you and me. My sermons are very simple, but hopefully biblical. And I know that God wants to encourage you today. In this story today, we see what God is like. Now, the story is about Jesus and what he does in this man's life. But Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen who? The father. And so we see what God is like in this story. Verse 32, it says, and he took him aside. Jesus took him aside away from the crowd. The New American Standard adds, he took him aside by himself. The first thing, if you're taking notes this morning, we need to see about the Lord and about our God is he cares for us individually individually or personally. Jesus cares about the heavens and the earth. It's his world. He created them. They belong to him. Matthew chapter 9 says he cares about the crowds, the multitudes. He looked upon the multitudes and he felt compassion for them because they were downcast like sheep without a shepherd. But right here, we see his personal love and care for this hurting man. He wasn't just a project. He was a person. And so he takes him aside, away from the crowd, So he wouldn't be embarrassed, so he wouldn't become a spectacle, and so he could spend time just with him. Now, just as Jesus took this man aside to minister to him, so so does he take you and me aside 
from time to time to minister to us. Have you ever had the Lord kind of take you aside? I don't mean in a punitive way. Have you? Where you know God is just wanting you to spend more time with him. It happens in my life all the time. Sometimes he takes us aside to correct us because we're not thinking correctly about a situation. And he wants to set us straight. All through the scriptures you see this, you know, Saul thought he was serving God by persecuting Christians. He's going down the Damascus Road, probably on a horse. He's knocked to the ground and Jesus corrects him. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Go into the city and your life is going to change. And he sets him, you know, in a completely different direction. He had to correct the way in which Saul thought he was, of course, you know that story, he becomes the Apostle Paul. Sometimes he sets, uh, takes us aside to correct us, sometimes to direct us. One day, he comes to Peter and he goes, let's go for a walk on the beach. And it was just Jesus and Peter. Now John was following behind, but it's Jesus and Peter. And Jesus gives him an assignment. He says, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my what? Sheep. He goes, feed my sheep. I have a job for you to do. But he took him aside to give him that assignment. And then, of course, later, Peter would preach a sermon and 3,000 people would be saved. Does that ever happen today? Oh, yeah. Luis Palau preached in Central Park. I was there on the side of the stage praying and watching. There were 3,600 decisions just in Central Park. (laughs) So God is still moving. And so Peter gets his assignment. Later, he comes to the Apostle John on the island of Patmos. John's all by himself. They exiled him to this island. He's all there. Jesus appears to him. And he gives him direction. He gives him an assignment. He says, write the things which you've seen and the things which are and the things which shall take place. That's Revelation chapter 119. Because he obeyed, we have the book of Revelation that I've heard Luis Palau quote the end of in some of his sermons. He takes us aside to correct us. He takes us aside to direct us. But sometimes he takes us aside just to comfort us or console us. Remember the story of Mary and Martha. Their brothers died. They're grieving. Jesus shows up in town. Martha sees him first. He goes, go get your sister. And she comes to Mary and she says, the master is here and he's calling for you. Because he wanted to talk to Mary. And Mary came and the Bible says, John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. He wept with her. He comforted her. And then, of course, he did something about the situation. He raised her brother from the dead. And here in our story, he comes to this man whose name we don't even know. He's just the man born deaf and dumb. That's all we know about him. But Jesus saw his heart, saw his need. He came to him. He took him aside individually so he could do him good personally. And maybe you're here today and you're hurting in some kind of way and you're longing for your husband or your wife or somebody you thought was going to be with you and they failed you and and you feel like nobody really understands or nobody cares. Well, Jesus does. Do you agree with me? He cares about where you are. Psalm 27, I love this. David says, even if my father and mother have forsaken me, the Lord will take me up. You know, like the last person that you ever expect to not love you is your mom, right? <laughs> if everybody else hates me, my mom still loves me. That's why all the athletes on TV. So yeah, thank you for hi, mom. You know, <laughs> they never say hi, dad, hardly. So hi, mom. But what if your mother doesn't? Or what if she's not capable because of her own brokenness? What if she deserted the family? That's happening more and more now. And what, what if you, well, Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Therefore, I can confidently say the Lord is my helper 
what shall man do to me? You know, being here today, I have all these memories when we were here for a year and a half on Saturday nights. We used to sing a song here uh, by a guy who actually helped us with the festival in El Paso, Texas. He wrote this song called He Knows My Name. Maybe you've heard it, but it goes like this. I have a father. He calls me his own. He'll never leave me, no matter where I go. He knows my name. He knows my every thought. And he sees each tear that falls. And he hears me when I call. And there's a verse, I have a maker. He formed my heart. Before even time began, my life was in his hands. And this week, don't forget, God cares about you personally, individually. I know it's basic, but sometimes we feel like, where's God? He's abandoned me. I prayed about this and nothing's happening. I think he's forgotten. He knows where you are. He can find you. And he wants to. You just need to have faith. You have a father and he hears you when you call. And sometimes he'll take you aside individually in order to do good for you personally. By the way, he took me aside Friday morning at 4.10 a.m. And uh, he wanted to give me the point I just, I just shared with you. I know it's from God because I don't get up at 4.10 in the morning. <laughs> I'm a musician. Like, I fought it until 5.06. <laughs> then I got up because my mind was racing with what I just told you. So I wrote it down as fast as I could. It's for somebody here today. Because uh, I don't get up at 410. And if, if it's not, then it was for somebody in the 9 o'clock service. I don't know. But there it is. And I got up early for you. Okay. This week, don't forget, Jesus sees a multitude, but he cares for you. And if he takes you aside, listen and go, because it's to do you good personally. Now, let's read on and see what happens next. Verse 33 goes on to say, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue with the saliva. Because of his deafness, he can't hear Jesus' words, but he can feel Jesus' touch. By placing his fingers in this man's ears and by uh, his touch on his tongue, he's saying to this man, I'm going to do something for your ears, and I'm going to do something for your tongue. Let's read on. Verse 34. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened. In verse 34, we see Jesus doesn't just care for us individually. He cares for us compassionately. When Jesus sighed here, he revealed his heartfelt compassion for this man. He hurt because this man hurt. And he entered into his pain. He empathized with him. I imagine in his sigh, there was also sorrow over sin, over the physical issues this man was dealing with, over A broken world that once was perfect. Some of the theologians think, yes, that was in his sigh. Because there are other places in the scriptures where Jesus sighed. And we know in Romans it says the whole creation groans. This world which which will be perfect again, the new heaven and the new earth, was broken. And Jesus sighs. It's sometimes God lets you and me experience some pain and suffering so that we will be able to identify and even sigh with people when they hurt. I just read this morning when I was uh, spending some time with the Lord. This is from Streams in the Desert. Some of you read this. It says, we cannot do good to others unless we have suffered ourselves. And he who would be a helper must first be a sufferer. 
And, and I think that's so true. The, in, in his, he goes on to say, the writer of the streams in the desert, the present circumstances which seem so pressed against you, if you surrender them to Christ, may be the very tool the Father wants to use to shape you into someone who's more compassionate. And I really believe that is true. And you know what? This past week, <laughs> I had a chance to be shaped by the Lord myself. I can share a little story with you with my wife's permission. Uh, God wanted to turn me into a little more of a compassionate person. And what I'll tell you how I did last week. I failed miserably. <laughs> But I'm going to share the story with you. My wife, which is down here, whom I love to pieces. We just celebrated our 37th anniversary last Wednesday. And uh, she's put up with me for that long. And then the very next day, something happened to her. Someone very close to her hurt her deeply. It was a kind of a, a verbal kind of abuse on steroids kind of thing. And, and uh, many of you have experienced that kind of hurt before. Word, words can really hurt. I'm not going to tell you the story because, well, frankly, it's none of your business. Don't be offended. But, but I'm going to tell you about my response to it, okay? In my efforts to help my wife, who was hurting, I assessed the situation accurately, told her what was going on. I gave her advice biblically, and I think it was right. But to my shock, it wasn't helping her practically. <laughs> because you know why? What she needed from me was empathy. And, you know, she needed me to enter into her hurt and pain. You'd think after 37 years I would know how to do that. But we guys, we're kind of thick, whatever. I'm not even going to say it. Women, would you agree? You can say Amen. Amen. You've heard the, the definition of a woman, right? Don't be offended. But a speck of logic on a sea of emotion. And don't be offended. Definition of a man. A speck of emotion on a sea of oblivion. <laughs> so That was me this past week. Hey, babe, this is what's going on. Hey, this is what the Bible says about this. This is what you should do about that. And she's like, oh, you know, it's like, why am I not helping you? And it got worse from there. Okay, so... Uh, and I realized finally, I'm like one of Job's counselors. Remember those guys? They were waxing eloquent, pontificating, giving great speeches. And finally Job blurts out in Job 16:2, Miserable comforters are you all. <laughs> that was me. If I had it to do all over again, which you don't get those chances, do you? I would have listened better, absolutely. Prayed harder because... Behind this was, was, demon, was spiritual warfare. You know, we wage not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. I should have. I just got back from New York. That's warfare, man. Evangelism is warfare. People are getting saved and, and, and Satan is alive and well. So there was some demonic stuff going on. I would have prayed harder, but mostly I would have sighed deeper with my wife and hurt with her. She needed me to hurt with her instead of simply give advice to her. The good news is, Jesus isn't like me. <laughs> As we sang, you have a good, good father, and he loves you, and you are loved by him. You know, he's called in Isaiah 53, the man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Whatever you're going through, he knows what it feels like. If you've asked God to use you to make a difference in this world and in people's lives, you may need to go through some suffering in order to be able to enter into people's pain and to sigh and hurt for them so you can be the hands and feet of Jesus to them. Sometimes there's just no other way. And sometimes it's those very things that 
God wants to use to shape you. And I found out this past week, <laughs> there's a lot more shaping that needs to happen in my life. Romans 8.29 says God's will is to conform me to the image of his son. I got a long ways to go. But you know, pain and suffering sensitizes you. We have four kids and when our youngest was eight years old, he was suddenly diagnosed with juvenile diabetes and... You know, he was in the hospital and then we're getting, getting up at two in the morning and checking his blood sugar so he doesn't pass out and all this. And I didn't ever give a thought to juvenile diabetes. Suddenly I'm seeing it everywhere. We're meeting with parents who are tired and bleary eyed and hurting and some with two year old kids and even babies with it. And all of a sudden I was sensitized to the pain of this particular disease because we live in a fallen world. And so just be sensitive. But remember, God cares about you individually. He cares about you compassionately. And we are to take the pain of others and feel for them. You know, that's in the Bible, by the way, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. I'm going to put it on the screen here. You have that verse, don't you? There it is. Read this out loud with me. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. I love that. One of the things I love about it is one of the titles of God is the God of all what? Comfort. And he comforts us. And the reason he does it is so we can turn around in and comfort others the way he has ministered to us. So if you need some shaping to do like me, <laughs> let Jesus take you aside individually to do some good for you personally. Back to our story. And so Jesus looks up to heaven to show that that's where the help was going to come from, from his father above. And then he sighs with compassion and he says, Ephatha. And by the way, that's not some kind of incantation. You know, no. It just means be opened. He says, be opened. Let's read on verse 35. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Another translation says the impediment of his speech was removed, gone, just like that. Literally in Greek, it's the chain of his tongue was broken in an instant. Now, you think about it. This man wouldn't have heard Jesus say that word, Ephesus. He wouldn't have heard it because he can't hear. <laughs> but... Remember, Jesus is the creator, right? He created the world. So this man is a fearfully and wonderfully made by God. So his creation, this man, heard the command of the creator and his ears are open. Let's see what happens next. Verse 36, Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. No time to talk about that, why he said that. But, but the more he did so, the more widely they kept talking about it. Isn't that what happens when Jesus miraculously changes his life? You just can't stop talking about it. You know one of the exciting things about New York? It's not just the 10,000 plus decisions. It's all the people they're now talking to. The fruit is going to go on and on and on. When you have your life radically changed by Jesus, the first people you think of are the people you love the most. And when I came to the Lord, it's because a friend brought, brought, brought me. And then uh, he was my parents and all my family. I mean, I had quite a list. And by the grace of God, almost every single person on there came to Christ. I got to baptize some of them, lead some of them to Christ. My mom and dad were at the top. Good people, God-fearing people, but not Jesus followers. And for years, I thought, God, save my dad, save my mom. At one point, my wife said, I think your mom's saved. I said, I don't want to think she's saved. i got to know she's saved. And so after years, finally, one day, the phone rings. My mom, she goes, son, we want you to baptize us. I go, <laughs> I started crying. 
I get to baptize my mom and dad. My mom was 66. My dad was 67. And they started growing at that point in their life. My dad lived 10 more years to 77. Oh, by the way, we gave him Bibles. Remember, babe? My wife's down here. That's babe. All right. It's my wife I call babe. Okay. Uh, her mom's next to hi, mom. Anyway, anyway. So, like, I gave him Bibles. My dad lives 10 years, and he grows as a believer. So when he died, I said, Mom, can I have his Bible? And I, I love to go through it. It's in my office, and I read the stuff my dad underlined, how he grew those last 10 years of his life. And my mom lived 10 more years. And then when she died, I asked my brothers, can I have mom's Bible? Yeah, sure. So now I've got that Bible, the ones we gave to them and all the notes they took in that time. And I know my parents are with the Lord. I know I'm going to see him again. And I'm so grateful to God that he made it so clear to me. Well, let's finish the story. Verse 37, people were overwhelmed with amazement. I'll bet they were utterly astonished. Another translation says saying he has done all things well. Lastly, this morning, we'll call it a day. Not only does Jesus care for us individually, not only does he care for us compassionately, he cares for us perfectly. He does all things well. Mark's gospel, unlike Matthew's, written primarily to a Gentile audience, and there's very few Old Testament references, but there are actually two in this passage. The phrase, he does all things well, if you'd read that as a Jewish a uh, man or woman who knew the Torah. It's an allusion, of course, to Genesis chapter 1, verse 21, where God made the world and said, it is what? Good. The son's work in redemption is like the father's work in creation. It's good. It's done well. It's perfect, leaving nothing to be desired. The second is found right here in verse 37, a little bit in verse 32. It says, they said he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is something only God can do. And it's a clear reference to Isaiah chapter 35, which we'll throw up on the screen, which says, Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb will shout for joy. When the Bible says here, he does all things well, any Jewish men or women who knew Torah, they would have been thinking Isaiah 35. This is something only God can do. Messiah is here. The king of the world. He's come to rescue sinners. And he's opening the ears of those who are deaf, the eyes of those who are blind, and he's even causing people who can't speak to have their tongue completely loose. Some of you know... My wife's story, she's right down here, that she heard perfectly till she was 26 years old. And then over a period of the next 20 years, she slowly went completely deaf. And uh, there's there's amazing story there of what God did in her life and how elders anointed her and what God did in her heart. But um, I know her world because I live with her. And uh, she does have a, a, a device that's hooked up to the left side of her head called a cochlear implant. Some of you know what those are. With that on, she can hear, Im- albeit imperfectly. Uh, she knows my voice. We can even talk a little bit on the cell phone. But whenever we walk, I need to be on this side of her. But I see her world. I watch it every day. You go into a store and the, the person says, it'll be 3329. And she has no idea what the person said. And they look at her like, what's wrong with you, stupid? And, and I, I know her world. But let me tell you. <laughs> When she sees Jesus face to face, just like Isaiah 35, she's going to leap like a deer when she hears his voice. And I just hope that I'm close enough to see it happen. I know there's no marriage in heaven. I know that. But, you know, we're friends, right? I hope I can watch my friend, you know. 
I like what Luis said years ago. He said, hey, if we're dumb enough to know each other down here, don't you think we're going to know each other up there? Right? <laughs> Hopefully, babe, we'll be really close. And I'll watch when you can hear perfectly again. God's going to give her like an awesome sound system, I think. I guess you won't need sound systems up there. But anyway, and Laura, who's down here, you know, climb that rock wall and then fly off. I don't know if we're going to fly in heaven. I think we are, but whatever. By the way, we've been to Black Forest Academy. I got to talk to you afterwards and taught on the family. So it's interesting. We're sharing together here. Well, if you know Jesus today, you can be confident that he does all things well. Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work and you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. He's going to perfect it because he does all things perfectly. You and I, we don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow, do we? Proverbs 27 says, Don't boast about tomorrow because you don't know what a day will bring forth. And James tells us the same thing. But we know a glorious future awaits you. And we know the kind of God we serve. He's a good father. He does all things well. And He loves you individually, he loves you compassionately, and he loves you perfectly. The Dutch evangelist Corey Ten Boom said this, and I love it, Never be afraid to entrust an unknown future to a known God. You say, I know my father, I know what he's like, and he does all things well. My wife is going to hear, Laura's going to run and walk, and we have a glorious future awaiting us. One last verse. I just like the Bible. I like to use it. So I was reading Isaiah 35 because I wanted to quote that verse for you. Well, I went to the last verse. My son, John Mark, is a pastor. This is like one of his favorite verses in the, in the Bible. You know, he struggles with depression in his own life and he finds victory in Christ. But this is how Isaiah 35 ends, talking about the glorious future that awaits every follower of Jesus. Therefore, the redeemed of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion and everlasting joy will be upon their heads. They'll obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and get this, sighing will flee away. Jesus won't be having to sigh. The creation won't be groaning. We'll be full of gladness and joy in the presence of the Lord. And I just want you to realize that's a reality. And right now you're called to preach the good news, to treat other people the way God treats them and cares about them as individuals to be compassionate about what they're going through and to tell them they have a good, good father because we have a God who does all things well. Amen. 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 I'm going to ask you to set your stuff down and stand together for prayer. And I want to just pray for us as we wrap up this morning. amazing. I don't know how close I came, but I think I almost did it. Just bow your head before the Lord. We're going to take the Lord's Supper in just a little bit. Not yet. Don't go rushing to the tables. But as I look across this crowd, I don't know where I don't know. I know some of you. I don't know many of you, but I know this. You have a good father. He cares for you today. And he wants to work in your life. The thing is, the Lord doesn't just knock you over and barge into your life. If you want a touch in your life today from him, whatever your need is, you need to come to him believing in faith. You need to come to him humbly, admitting your need. And you need to come to him really with a bit of desperation. Lord, I need you. And maybe you're here today and you've never actually given your life to Jesus. You've, and maybe you kind of have in your heart or you prayed a prayer, but you haven't even been baptized yet. It might be that today you realize, oh my gosh, God wants to be so much closer to me and so much 
more real to me, but I've got to take this step of obedience and follow in baptism. And you just go tell one of the pastors today, sign me up. I'm coming. Maybe you've never prayed and asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins and come into your life. Right now you can just say, Jesus, save me. I believe you died for me. And I receive you right now. You can walk out of this place not hoping you're saved, but knowing you're saved. Others of you, maybe you're like me. Maybe you're giving a bunch of answers to people, but in reality, there's no compassion. Maybe you know a lot of scripture, like like I was quoting at my wife, but people are longing to know the love of the Father coming through you. Maybe some of you need to ask someone's forgiveness this week. I don't know. Whatever it is, I know that we have a good God, and He's so longing to take you aside and minister to your heart. And so, Father, I just pray during this time of communion, as we remember how you tangibly showed us that you're a good God, and we remember that you saw our state and did something about it. May we this week go around being your hands and feet, touching people, blessing people, and being sensitive to be used by you. And God, when you want to take us aside, whether it's for correction or direction or just to love on us, I pray that we would respond quickly. Spend that time in your presence so we can serve you well and represent you to others. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to come to the tables in just a minute. And this is a tangible reminder that Jesus gave us to do. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus didn't just sigh. Oh, man, look at the broken world. And these people have drifted away and they've sinned against me. And it's not so sad. No, he did something about it. The Bible says God sent his son. So God gave his son. The son gave his life. He didn't just feel emotion for us. He acted on our behalf and he shed his sinless blood on the cross that all of our sin might be forgiven and there's that one time where you go i am saved and my sins are forgiven but then we need a daily cleansing don't we i mean for me it's like hourly the the minute i stop pursuing god i'm drifting away from him and this is a time to remember him that he died for our sins the bible says let a man examine himself and i don't know what it is for you for me it's like lord how did i miss it this week with my wife you know And forgive me. I want to be close to you. So take this time. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of him and thank him for his forgiveness. But lift up your life to him. And he may want to speak to you right now about how he wants to take you aside this week. Or maybe it's a particular person he wants you to go to in his name. Don't just take the bread and drink it and sit down. Spend time in the presence of your father. The tables are open. Uh, Ali's going to lead us in a song in just a little bit. So let's worship and let's remember our Lord.